It's February 3rd, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the, you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ramazawa, back from San Francisco. We'll kick off today's show with a couple of news guests. Perry Martin, president of Marinol School, is here to tell us about Talk Story with an Astronaut. Then Kathy Higa from the Hawaii Senate Minority is here to tell us about the concept of an open budget. Finally, we'll look at what, what it takes to create and maintain an online marketplace. How do you build a loyal following? And joining us for this conversation are Kyle Tanoi and Chad Kahunahana. And we always welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation as well. You can call in or send us a tweet after the break. And of course, so we wanted to mention that the Hawaii Venture Capital Association is celebrating their 28th anniversary in 2016. And of course, they are uh, kicking off their search for Hawaii's most innovative entrepreneurs, and they invite you to nominate someone in our community, or even yourself, to be named among the next generation of legacy builders. Applications will be accepted until February 5th, which I think is like a couple of days away. That's right. And, of course, you can go to hvca.org to submit your nominations. And I think that bite marks should be the deal of the year. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I want to hear about your trip to San Francisco. It was fantastic. Uh, you, you got to see all the main major companies. Right, I was about to say, maybe not the Golden Gate Bridge, which I did make, but instead of seeing the things that people go to see at San Francisco, I wanted to see Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh and, Apple, uh, Apple, Apple, and right. I visited all of those campuses. I was impressed by the Apple sushi that you had for lunch. Well, the one thing that I thought was interesting is all those other startups, when you're in the building, you mm-hmm. eat for free. You can walk anywhere. Everything's free. Apple, you got to pay. That's <laughs> why they are they made the most money in the last quarter than any company ever did. So that was a worthwhile trip. <laughs> I had a blast. Oh, and of course, more importantly, how did the, your startup do? Did well, so pitch? I was there with the Blue Startup sixth cohort to do a demo day at 500 startups mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, several companies pitched. We did as well. We met with a number of investors, got a lot of great advice. We're good. regrouping and figuring out what the next step is for our ag tech play. Oh, good. Well, maybe <laughs> you become a sponsor of the show. That you, you, you just <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, first up, we want to welcome uh, Perry Martin, he's the president of Marinol Schools, and he's here to tell us about an upcoming event called Talk to an Astronaut. Welcome to the show, Perry. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Sure. So Marinol, it caught my eye because I saw a posting on Facebook, and I thought, wow, you know, you guys are having a, a talk story with an astronaut. i got to find out more about this. So tell us a little bit about this program. You know, the program's really excited, and, and we're trying to get Marinol to take it up a notch when mm-hmm. it comes to STEM education. And what that means is we're, we're looking at the future jobs, things that these kids will have available to them in 20 years from now. And we're finding that the jobs that were lost in 2007 during that recession, those jobs are no longer available to these kids when they graduate. And there's really only high-tech jobs. Uh, there's jobs in the aerospace industry and those kind of management jobs. We want to we get them towards those, that direction by the time they graduate from college. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, how did you come about uh, getting uh, this astronaut, Mark uh, Polanski? Well, Mark is a real advocate for STEM and, and more of an integrated STEM than just an after-school STEM. And he, he was an Air Force pilot. Now, you, you recognize that our program is built so that kids can learn to fly before they get their driver's license. And what I'm hearing, especially in this state, it's safer to fly than it is to drive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so what Mark's going to do is he's coming to our school to talk to our community about really getting the passion developed for these kids to to take some really difficult and challenging STEM courses uh, now so that when they get into college, they, they, they kind of meet the, meet, meet the point at which they can actually do something with that education. Now, I noticed that your STEM program did have sort of an emphasis on aeronautics or uh, um, aerospace. aerospace. Yeah. And 
uh, I, I'd like to maybe to get your thoughts on what the opportunity is in aerospace. Is it is it here in Hawaii? Is it somewhere else? Well, you know, if you look at all the major industries related to uh, aviation and, en- and engineering especially, there's tremendous opportunity for kids, tremendous opportunity. Matter of fact, they say that in aviation, especially aerospace, 17% more jobs will be available to kids uh, than kids that don't take STEM and aerospace education, of course, being in Hawaii too. Uh, with all of the military here, with Boeing around, with BAE systems involved, um, those are companies who are going to offer these kids great jobs by the time they get out of college. And what better time than really to start in high school? Now, now remember, the MX program is kind of like high school with a major. Mm-hmm. So it's totally integrated. It's not just after school. It's not before school. These kids are getting STEM education in four engineering fields all day. So I kind of like that. I mean, you've got the hashtag MX Scholars, the MXScholars.org website. It's uh, high school as with a major is a great way to put it. And, and could you remind me what the four tracks might be that a student in Marinol would be able to uh, focus on? Right. There's, there's actually now, now BAE Systems helped us put this all together, remember. So the smart mm-hmm. people there helped us look at four years of curriculum. So the kids are going to take all their high school credits, everything that you normally take in a high school. And it's an accelerated program, which means they're going to be able to take four engineering courses, Introduction to Engineering, Principles of Engineering, Digital Electronics, and Aerospace Engineering. And so our challenge is getting these kids, by the time they're seniors, to really be in calculus, physics, and aerospace uh, engineering mm-hmm. all in the same year. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have a uh, private sector partner, I guess, helping to kind of develop this uh, curriculum. Uh, what's, what's, what's BAE's interest in this? Well, BAE's interest, they have a huge interest right now in robotics on our island, and in our state, actually. And so uh, one of my board members, Galen Ho, used to be an executive mm-hmm. with BAE mm-hmm. Systems. And he really helped me find the way through BAE Systems. So they actually helped me design the curriculum. So they looked at all those four courses. They looked at the scope and sequence. And they, they determined, really, which should be first, which should be second, which should be third, and which should be fourth. And keep in mind, these are all AP courses, too. So College Board has announced that even as a freshman, you can take Introduction to Engineering and still get AP credit for it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we had uh, Senator Glenn Wakai on a couple of weeks ago, and he had talked about the sort of the, the three A's that he's focusing in on, the three A's, if I can recall, three things, uh, alternative energy, <laughs> agriculture, and aerospace. aerospace. That's right. So I think there's a certain emphasis that is being placed on uh, you know that segment of the marketplace uh, by by some of our legislators, and you know, aerospace is not something new to Hawaii. We've been uh, we've had an office of aerospace for quite a while now. I think it's now a matter of whether or not we can actually get some you know some actual projects going. I think Pisces is another one that uh, we've been following quite a bit, and they've been doing some interesting work on the Big Island, uh, and they're seeking some funding to kind of stay stay viable a- as well. But they are definitely representative of that uh, aerospace industry here. And that's one of the reasons we really want, instead of aviation, we wanted to make it aerospace mm-hmm. because we wanted kids to study. Aerospace means everything from ground to space, and not just atmosphere, but ground to space. And so the innovation part um, is going to be really incredible for our kids. I mean, if you just think of the title, MX stands for, M stands for Marinol, X stands for the X factor, getting kids to mm. innovate and think for X. Mm-hmm. All right, so talk to us about this specific event, Talk Story with an Astronaut with Mark Polanski. He's spent 1,000 hours in space, and I think he does have a tie to Hawaii, correct? He does, yeah. His mother is from here, 
And he's he's a tremendous um, person. When you get to know him, his personality, you can see why he be, was the commander of the Endeavor. So basically, he's going to be here on February 15th, and we're inviting the public. This is a public. We're inviting the public to come from 10 a.m. to 12 uh, to the Mary Knoll Community Center. And what he's going to do is he's going to spend uh, some real personal time with anybody that comes. He's got a lot of autographs. He's got some things to show them and to bring them. And he's going to talk about his career path and what happened to him uh, in his high school years and his college years to want to really be a spacewalker. Great, great. So uh, what website can we go to sign up? That's mxscholars.org. It's a tremendous website, a lot of information, a lot of past articles on what's happened with the MX program. Remember, this started two years ago, and we're ready to kick it off next August. So Fantastic. we're very excited. Very good. We'll post that up on our show notes. Thanks, Perry, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, of course, next up is uh, Kathy Higa. She's a senior staffer. Uh, over at the uh, Senate um, Hawaii Senate Minority, and she's here to tell us about a couple of things going on with open budget and transparency. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hi, Bert. How are you? Good, good. So you've been uh, uh, quite a pioneer for uh, open budget. I know the last couple of years, you folks were actually uh, putting up on the website a an open budget website, and as I understand it, you pretty much had to scrape all that data off of the the document that gets published, I guess, with all the budget numbers. Is that correct? Yeah, initially we did. Quite a lot of the information is provided in more flexible formats, you know, Excel and things like that that are more manipulable. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the data is made available in, you know, PDF format. Mm -hmm. And so it was a it was a huge effort. We had a lot of support from um, our extended family on the House Minority side and a lot of support from the Senate Ways and Means Committee, um, Senator Tokuda's committee and her staff to try to get that data in a form that we could make it open and transparent and available. So well, you now have that on the open budget site. And, of course, as listeners of the show know, Bert and I very active in the open data movement and starting a nonprofit focused oh, yes. on that. And uh, Bert has his own history of walking the halls of the Capitol and pushing and meeting with legislators and getting things done. So uh, it's, it's always exciting to hear about progress in this space. Um, I know that there are a number of bills, and I'm excited to hear that there are a number of bills that kind of focus on this general area, transparency in government, something that I think should be a universal uh, ideal for how a democracy runs. Um, and one does focus specifically on budget. Now, I remember I, I'm not paying as much attention as Bert is, but a, a common practice in the legislature is you say, well, here's a bill and there's going to be a money component. But we don't know what it is. We'll just leave it blank. And one of the challenges is that makes it hard to determine how you're going to fund it or how how much that's valued by lawmakers. Is is How is the how is a bill going to affect that? Um, that's right, Ryan. We actually have two bills this year, um, SB 2728 which is um, the Fiscal Transparency Bill, and SB 2719, which is the Fiscal Impacts Bill. I think that's the one you're talking about. Right, right. But the two really go hand in hand, and we <clears throat> view them as an extension of the Hawaii Open Budget Project. Um, the Fiscal Transparency Bill seeks to not only make the data that is available on the site today available more readily and more easily for everyone to use it. That includes members of the legislature. Um, who would then have the data in a more manipulable, easier-to-use format. But we also want to see the expenditures. Hmm. I mean, looking at the budget is, is a task in itself, and that itself can be really informative. But knowing what we actually spend could really make a difference in how people regard how we're running government, and that really is a two-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. There are times 
when we are accused often of overspending or of of finding ways to scrape money together and and fooling the taxpayers, but at the same time, there are times when we are on budget or even under budget and are making a a much better use of those funds than people know. So we'd like them to see both. Mm-hmm. Have these uh, been proposed before? I mean, what's the challenge of getting these passed? Um, I think the challenge is probably twofold. I think one of them is, gee, you know, open government and transparency have been mantras of all sorts of people, both sides of the aisle, all over the country for decades. Mm -hmm. But you go through an enormous effort to make that information available, and what do people do with it? So what I'd have to say to that is thanks to you guys. I mean, I consider you two the fathers or godfathers of of open data and open open government and transparency in Hawaii. And I think efforts like yours to get people engaged, to show them what's available, have really helped to open everybody's eyes to the value of making this additional investment. And you can build apps, and that could found a company, and that could diversify the economy. If you can get insights from data that you might not otherwise get, you know, you have all the smartest people that you have available to you in the capital, but if you apply people with business backgrounds, people with startup backgrounds, people with engineering backgrounds, and they say, with access to more and more information, we can make smarter decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even broader than that, just engage citizens who may not have any of those skills, but being better informed enables them to give us their input in a more constructive and and sometimes more thorough way. Now, you know, the uh, I guess this is 2719 where a lot of the bills do have a blank space for mm-hmm. uh, what they're asking for. It, it certainly does make sense to everyday citizens that there might be a, a number put in there so that it could be uh, maybe tracked against what the what the uh, governor's uh, supplemental budget might be, but w- there must be a reason why it's blank, and it's blank for pretty much the whole l- life of that bill until the very end. Is that because of some backroom negotiation that's going on? I mean, what's going? Why isn't there some number that's being put on there so that it uh, sort of gets followed along the way? Oh, I I don't think it's that insidious. I'm sure there may have been cases here and there where that's happened. It's happened on Capitol Hill and certainly in other states where I've lived and participated in government. Um, I think a lot of times it's a function of the negotiation that goes on. You know, we've got several hundred new or, you know, dozens, thousands, you know, of new programs, new initiatives that need to be funded. And sometimes the debate and the engagement of citizens in that debate to discuss what our priorities really are, how much they value something, may cause that to be left blank. Mm. But what we're asking for in the fiscal impacts bill is to at least give people a starting point, Mm -hmm. you know, give them our best Um, analysis of what we think the program is going to cost, what the benefits are to a citizen, and some of the things that we're often criticized for, we should at least give our our best shot to give the public a starting point. Operating and maintenance costs are very often things where, over the long haul, we are criticized for not being accurate in our estimates. Mm -hmm. But if we engage people, although we certainly will invite a certain amount of criticism <laughs> for our estimates. Um, perhaps we, as, as Ryan pointed out, get people with more expertise, with real on-the-ground experience to contribute that inf- that experience to the process. Mm-hmm. So That's we, the hope. Yeah, we've talked about that, Bill. Um, can you tell us about the other one? Uh, the twenty seven twenty eight transparency. Yeah, twenty seven twenty eight. The fiscal transparency is the one I think I was discussing earlier. I'm sorry if I I, I, I wasn't clear, <laughs> but that one asks for us to look not only at the budget data but what we've spent. Right. Yeah, 
And gotcha. right now, how is that uh, reported? Uh, expenditures? Yes. Um, it's re- reported in a variety of ways. The most comprehensive way is in the annual reports that are delivered by the various agencies. So the Department of Health, the Department of Human Services, Transportation, they all line up at the beginning of a session, well, usually even before that, starting mm-hmm. in about November, December time frame, and they talk about where they are on the budgets from the last session, what they're going to need. So you mentioned the governor's supplemental budget. Each of the agencies gave input to that to say where they were and weren't on track, where they were underspending or where they, where they were challenged and mm-hmm. needed supplemental funding. So that's generally the most comprehensive place to get a single snapshot and of what the, we've done. And the, the $140 million for homeless would be part of that, that conversation? Um, yeah, that's a little different. That's not uh, a, 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 uh, an expenditure. Right. Right. That's a budget number. But yeah, it's a part of that conversation. And it's on, on the open budget site so that everybody can take a look at how that balances against the other requests that are being made. So I'm curious, when does a, a number, when does an expenditure get logged in? Because uh, a department can get a certain number as a result of you know legislation, but is an expenditure once they actually spend it? Well, uh, you know, I have to say I'm not exactly sure because I think it varies a great deal from department to department. So we have something called the notion of actually spending the money. Mm -hmm. And then there's a notion of encumbering the money, meaning it's going to get spent. We've made a commitment. There's the release of the funds. Right. And, And so I shouldn't have said I'm not sure. I think it depends on the project. It depends on the manner in which... You know, whether it's a capital project or whether it's something like salaries or operating expenses, they all can differ somewhat mm-hmm. in how the expenditures are logged or how the committed funds so if are reported. It's clear, though, that it's a complex machine that we're yeah, talking about is. and certainly having windows into it uh, for people presumably even smarter than us to be able to follow something or contribute or or give feedback or basically interact more with their representatives is a good thing. So if somebody wanted to help advance the open budget cause or these bills, um, what's the best way to get involved and to track its progress? Well, the most convenient way to get involved today is to go to www.hawaiiopenbudget, all one word, dot com. And actually today, the Hawaii Open Budget Project celebrated its second anniversary thanks to the Minority Budget Director, Paul Harleman, whose Mm -hmm. brainchild it was last year. So we've added the 2016 budget data. It's it's nothing that we've made up. It's all of the data that's been published by the governor's office, by the legislature, that's being debated in the legislature right now as we speak. I love it. It's uh, HawaiiOpenBudget.com. It's my favorite color, green. So two thumbs up all the way around. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll post that up on our show notes and uh, everybody can check that out later on tonight. We want to thank you, Kathy, for joining us. Thank you, guys. And of course, uh, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Kyle Tanoi and Chad Kahunahana. We'll talk about online marketplaces. What does it take to create one and to sustain it in a very competitive online area? Of course, we'd love your thoughts, your questions, suggestions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And of course, we're live in the studio here. You can tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. For small business owners in the borderland of El Paso, Texas, you have to work both sides of the river. If I didn't have a home in Mexico, I would not be able to do this. I know how to maneuver there, and I know how to maneuver here, and that way I've got one foot on each side. 
I'm Kai Rizdal. Doing business on both sides of the border, our election year series, My Economy, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. Violinist Dwayne Padilla and guitarist Ian O'Sullivan both received classical music training at Yale University. On February 13th, they performed together as the Eli duo in HPR's Atherton studio. They'll be showing off their classical chops as well as their affinity for the avant-garde. Reservations at hprtickets.org or at 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership Wealth Management. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Kyle Tanoi and Chad Kahunahana. Since the time I knew Kyle over at Hawaiian Tell, he evolved through various companies, one called Talisman, another one called Milan Marketplace, and now the third one called Moment Romance. I can't wait to hear about that one. Chad, meanwhile, is the founder and CEO of Experience Hawaii Tours, a tour and travel-related startup that was formed to hack the $1.5 billion activity and tour booking segment here in Hawaii. And, of course, how do you break into this competitive marketplace? We'd love to hear your questions and comments, and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Now, we are, you know, having this sort of conversation about the, the, the online marketplace. And, of course, I would generally define it as being, you know, anybody that goes on and buys something online, that's pretty much the online marketplace. Chad, do you have any more specific definition? Uh, yeah, in essence, that's it. But, you know, marketplaces provide um, a lot of more value to the customer, mm-hmm. um, service, brand, um, trust pricing and information. So it really enhances the, the experience. Well, how would you differentiate an online marketplace from, say, just an online store, for example, an e-commerce play? I mean, marketplace to me implies a greater diversity, perhaps a selection, maybe even a diversity of suppliers, but in a single place that provides a product or a service. Is that a reasonable way to put it? Or That's right. And then having, uh, having that selection actually adds a lot of value for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, almost anything that you want to buy uh, anything anything that you can find on Amazon, for example, you can find other places. You can find direct from the manufacturer, but you purchase from Amazon because Amazon has developed a trust with you. You, you, you may not always get the best price, but you know you're going to get pretty close to the best price. You know that they're going to have good policies around returns. Um, they're going to have customer service, and they're going to have selection. So it's a one-stop place to go, and uh, so that's very, that's very useful. That has mm-hmm. a lot of value to the customer. Well, Kyle, I mean, um, one question would be, though, if people know that you can go to Amazon to get everything, if, even if you're not going to the direct supplier, just because you have that trust with this large player with good infrastructure and good, uh, you know, the ability to fulfill your orders quickly and giant warehouses everywhere. Um, it almost sounds like saying that you're going to start an online marketplace, you have an enormous uh, elephant in the room in terms of why would somebody participate in a new marketplace versus one that is established and has the reach of of Amazon. There's the new player called Jet.com trying to be the Costco of online marketplaces, but still Amazon is eating almost everyone's lunch. 
Yeah, that's true. And actually, in our business model, we're a little different. It might be an interesting conversation today because when we looked at the marketplace, we saw that there was a shift toward online and the Amazons are growing and I'll disclose that I'm a pretty big Amazon customer myself. Um, but we also see a, a, a change from local businesses losing out on, on that too. Um, we, we do, whether it's a, a game we're not going to win, we, we're trying to fight it, we're, we're building technologies that allow local businesses to have the same type of tool sets that an Amazon does. So we're a little bit from a different place. We're not, we, don't, we don't look at the space as creating another online market space to compete with an Amazon. We're looking actually to the opposite of that, which is equipping local businesses uh, that have storefronts that attract local people, but giving them the same technologies that an Amazon would have. So you've been doing this for quite a while, and before we get into the, your your new project, I mean, tell us a little bit about Talisman and and uh, and Milan, because those are based on some technologies, I guess, that you've built over the years. Right. So if it's one thing I think I can contribute to the show is every mistake you can try to make in the book about having a great idea, at least you think it's a great idea, and try to execute it. Um, but real quickly, uh, as, as Bert, you mentioned, uh, Talisman's mission was really to use technology to enhance life from people. And it's a very broad statement, but the vision there was that now you had this very powerful technology device with you, and it had the ability to learn about you, uh, where you were, and keep you safe. Um, so Talon's mission was about creating platforms that would connect people with the things that they do in life. And one of them was about um, saving you money by, by uh, giving you a coupon when you go to a store, but at a local basis. We weren't going to send you a coupon to a store you could buy online. Mm-hmm. It was about you know, sending you something that you could actually buy today. Um, the other part of it was about keeping you safe. So we had a, a pretty long stint in um, doing safety alerts at the time, years ago, for the Big Island um, Civil Defense. Um, and then we you know, started evolving and, and working closely with the local businesses. Um, it's a challenging market you know, for that. Um, but um, Milan Marketplace was created as a spinoff from Talisman that really provided businesses with the ability to have all the Amazon tools that y- you see today as consumers. So the businesses have the ability to tell about their business. All their products become searchable, very easy online, fast access. Um, the challenges has been adoption, and uh, you know. And so you were you were pretty much building all of these uh, these platforms that you were offering to businesses, right? I mean, it wasn't something that you could uh, source from Amazon. You had to build it all your own. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, really standing out there and trying to build it. So I, I've had a very good uh, investment partner that's been very patient for the last eight years. Uh, startup that runs eight years and running no money mm. um, is really patience. But I, I think that's a credit to, uh, I want to say Hawaii too. Our, our lifestyle's here a little bit more patient. We're, we're more, more focused on long term. But to answer your question, we did. We, we built a platform. It's still running and you know we're trying to get adoption to it. Um, but a lot of times technology is, is a lot about timing. So I think we're a little bit in front of the curve yet on some of these platforms that we have. Mm-hmm. Now, Chad, um, your marketplace or your offering online is uh, activities. It's tours. It's a service in this respect rather than, say, you know, kitchen widgets or uh, Hawaiian quilts that a uh, someone might assume when they hear about a marketplace. I'm kind of interested in your background. I like in your profiles you talk about being a technologist, a pragmatic optimist. But my favorite word is in there, curmudgeon. I certainly have a bit of curmudgeon in myself as well. A healthy skepticism, perhaps. So how did you get with that background to selling almost the fantasy dream, perhaps, of Hawaii? I'm a mudge. Uh, It's true. (laughs) I admit it. Uh, I see things, I see problems, and I think that there can be a better way. So my background is actually in uh, finance. I worked uh, as a banker, and uh, after that I worked in private equity and venture capital fund in San Francisco. 
When I moved back to Hawaii, I was looking for a problem to solve, a business to start, and tourism um, is a huge industry, obvi- obviously, here. And uh, tourism activities is part of the, the travel dollar, part of the travel segment that uh, really hasn't benefited from digital distribution. And this was about three and a half years ago. Um, so, you know, when we started looking at the industry, we uh, travel, uh, tours, and travel tours and activities, um, we said, okay, on um, the market is very varied. You got big guys like Cool Oil Ranch and Polynesian Culture Center. You got small mom and pops, the one guy with a boat, a uh, guy with a van. And it's extremely varied. And there's two main problems, uh, things that need to be solved in the industry. One is um, software for tourism activity providers to man- better manage their business. The other one is uh, user experience for customers, a brand that people can trust to find what they're looking for um, without having to Google it. And even if you Google it, you're going to get videos and articles and lists and all kinds of things you don't know what to think. What's a good surf lesson? How much should I pay for it? Mm-hmm. I see guys offering lessons for 50 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. What's a good price? You don't mm-hmm. know. So a marketplace offers that uh, that uh, that selection, right? It's a third-party person that's vouching for it, that's conducted some kind of vetting, some kind of due diligence, that's recommending a certain standard that you can trust. So we're not the cheapest. We're not the most expensive. We hand-select what we think are the finest tours and activities in each particular category, and we vouch for those. So, you know, we offer a certain amount of uh, guarantees, uh, some certainty around price and and service. You can change or cancel things for free to give people um, to try to develop that brand. Um, I also think uh, what was being said earlier is important, too, though. Uh, marketplaces are important, but also there's still a place for local businesses. They're still going to have a relationship. Um, people are still, It's not going to replace that, right? When you travel, uh, when you're new or when you're looking in a new product segment that you haven't made a purchase in before, you don't have a relationship with a manufacturer, right, or mm-hmm. a, a local business. Yet, marketplaces can be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. If you're living somewhere and you've already made a relationship with the Malasada guy or with the, the boutique on the corner, then it's not as valuable to you. So they both have a place in the ecosystem. So your approach has been to curate and find the valuable, let's say, uh, experience offerings that are out there and sort of offer that to your clientele? Yeah, so the value that we add to customers um, is, number one, um, trust, right, certainty. They know that they're going to get a certain standard when they purchase from us. Um, pricing, right? They know that uh, they can be able to quickly compare pricing and compare compare features and options amongst a n- number of different products. In our case, tours and activities, uh, we guarantee a service that they can be um, that uh, that they uh, they can be used to, right? Something they can expect, right? Every uh, manufacturer or tour provider can have a different type of service, different type of purchase interface, different type of cancellation policy, different type of insurance, different type of track record or safety record, mm-hmm. they know that if they come to a marketplace, we've done that vetting for them, right? Um, and so we make that easy. So we give them peace of mind. That's the most important thing, peace of mind and ease of use. And you are not a, a, a tour provider. You are providing that marketplace. Um, and so we, it gets to the question, and I will ask Kyle as well, your monetary uh, proposition, the way you make money is by through the referrals, by, by helping your 
service providers mm-hmm. earn money, you earn money as well as a, per, a percentage, I would imagine, right. of what they book. That's the basics, right, of a marketplace. The, initially, you look at the B2C, the business-to-consumer relationship, and we, we take uh, a percentage of that sale, right? We're saving, but our man- but we also have a B2B relationship to manage, right? Mm. We are we actually, it's an additional sales channel for our partners, our manufacturers, um, but we're also providing information to them, right? We're also providing uh, cost savings to them. Uh, it's, uh, th- we're saving them money in marketing. We're saving them money in customer service. We're helping to build their brand, extend their brand. We're saving them transaction costs. Um, so there's a lot of value there. Also, mm-hmm. you know, as the marketplace grows, as we uh, and our plan this year is to expand into multiple locations outside of Hawaii. We're going to rebrand and we're going to launch into multiple U.S. cities and internationally. Um, we start to get a lot of data mm-hmm. about pricing, about transactions, about the industry that our manufacturers, our partners, they don't have access to, right? Um, they don't always know how many seats are available on a substitutable product, but we do because we're partnered with so many people. And as the more manufacturers we partner with, the more data we're going to have. And we can share that data mm-hmm. and we can develop products and services and business intelligence products and services to help our, um, our, our partners uh, maximize their profitability. So it's it's more than just uh, looking at uh, unfilled inventory, right? I mean, you, I'm sure the data that you're collecting kind of gives you a good idea as to what's booked and what's not booked. And if you're looking at comparable kinds of of, of products, if it's all booked here, you can probably get them to you know f- have this have this mm-hmm. experience instead, right? Yeah. So is is it really kind of the 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 data analytics that's allowing you to fill the kind of orders that you're getting? Um, but yes, yes and no. Um, uh, right now, the most important thing is providing good customer service and having a good selection and, and products they can trust. Um, in the future, I think uh, the the future is in big data and business intelligence, right? And recommendation so, engines. And mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to have, uh, we you know, the... the the value of marketplace is we got to have more variety, right? So it's easy. We have everything that you're looking for right, in a certain category, and we have to provide easy ways for you to to filter that data, to parse that data, to do comparisons, right? Um, so that's the value to the customer. Um, but for the for our partners, we can also provide business intelligence to them. Is your pricing correct? Mm-hmm. Could you be using more dynamic pricing? Should you be charging different customers different prices based on how s- far in advance they want to make sure, a booking? Sure. Yeah, Given or what category you're in, right? We know that if they looked at this particular product, but they ended up buying this product, or this, they started looking at a competitor but purchased yours. So we right. know maybe some information about why people are choosing you and not choosing you that you may not know for yourself. Mm-hmm. And certainly, yeah, absolutely valuable. We're talking to Chad Kahunahana of Experience Hawaii Tours and Kyle Tanoi of many, many projects, including Talisman, Milan Marketplace, and the forthcoming Moment Romance, talking about online marketplaces and really how you can compete online. And if you have a comment or a question, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. So, Kyle, you help uh, businesses build their online presence. Um versus perhaps I would imagine a marketplace for a number of different service providers. What is your business model? Do I need to buy your software once and then I can just sell as many widgets as I want? Or do you stay a part of that value chain and derive value for yourself through that? Right. So so in the marketplace model, we're actually a B2B2C. Hmm. So we provide a platform technology that businesses will use to then reach their customers. 
part of the challenge of our business was in that model space there. So our, our reach, um, our targets were, of course, end-user businesses, but we also worked with larger companies that had access to a customer base, such as mobile phone carriers. Mobile phone carriers, I would debate coming from the phone company in the past. Years ago, before many people were born, they had the phone books, right? And that was one of the biggest advertising engines there ever was because you had access to phone numbers of all the people that you ever wanted to contact. Um, Years forward now, we don't have phone books because there aren't many landlines anymore. And mobile phones are now the holy grail of many cases, but people don't like to be called on their mobile phones. But how do you get to them? Well, you still have access. So we looked at um, providing ways for uh, customers to get access that they want, such as coupons or food or travel. Um, And how do they do that? Well, mobile phone carriers actually had that relationship with them. So in our experience, we would build a platform that we could offer to a business, such as a mobile phone carrier, that had access to millions of consumers um, and provide that content. Now, the challenge there is that the mobile phone carriers, I mean, they tend to be fairly large entities in and of themselves. So they would perhaps have perhaps businesses that they've already been dealing with or, or internal expertise that could help build that uh, kind of a platform. How were you envisioning getting into that that segment of the of the uh, the marketplace yeah, so the, the, great, telef- you know, yeah. the telephone carrier right and and we're smiling at each other because Bert and I have personal experience working with the telecom yeah, industry it's not easy <laughs> it's not easy it's not easy for many reasons and and the obvious reason in that space um, in that space was that you know the mobile phone carriers make a lot of money and their primary business is not advertising it's about providing you connecting connectivity with someone else um, that being said if you look at what's happening in the mobile space today Right. I won't name carriers, but you know who the number one, two, three, and four are. And they're competing for that space. And how do we distinguish them mm-hmm. uh, among them part? And it's about, well, my phone loses signal, so I don't want to go with them, but they're the cheapest. So it's price and quality that we debate with. Um, they're faced with many challenges. I, I don't want to detour the conversation, but I think that a good way for companies such as a mobile carrier that has access to a lot of customers is by distinguishing themselves not necessarily only by price or by service, but also by the value that they can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so our pitch to them was that they have millions of users. Uh, we can connect a marketplace to them and give a local marketplace presence to mobile phone users. So how that would affect us as consumers? Today, when you want to do something locally, um, you got to search for it. But in this case, you'd have access from your local corner store or groceries. Um, think about how easy or how difficult it is today to find coupons in a grocery store on your mobile phone, right? So, so I, I, what I want to do is I also want to explore, were you looking at the Hawaii market or were you looking at other marketplaces to you know, sort of get your platform into? We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short uh, break to continue our conversation with both Kyle Tanoi and Chad Kahunahana about building an online marketplace. How do you differentiate yourself with all of that competition? Of course, if you're talking about customer service, how do you represent the various vendors that you are helping reach their customers? Of course, we'd love to hear your questions as well. You can give us a call at 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands or just 941-3689 from here on Oahu. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight.
all things considered, has been there through war. Thousands of young people came to Washington. Disaster. Challenger, go with throttle up. The explosion in the clear blue Florida sky. And breakthrough moments. Just let it sink in. An African-American president of the United States of America. Four decades are bringing you the news on All Things Considered every afternoon. Weekdays from noon to two. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking with Kyle Tsunoy and Chad Kahunahana about competing in the crowded online marketplace. And, of course, you can give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, right before the break, uh, Kyle, you were telling us about <clears throat> your um, uh, platform, I think, that was sort of geared toward the mobile carrier. And, of course, we all recognize that you know getting a foothold in the mobile carrier is a challenge in and of itself. But I was kind of curious, were you looking at the Hawaii market or were you looking at other markets uh, instead of Hawaii? Um, you know, the, for the amount of investment that we made in our vision, it was it was very much global. So it was outside of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, Hawaii um, we viewed always as being one of the best places to test bed this. Um, it's not the biggest. Um, actually, interestingly, we're number five, n- uh, number fifty-five of the largest cities in the U.S. Just just learned that. Um, pretty big size for a small island, um, but it's a very tough market. We have a lot of small businesses, um, a sort of a big city, and as well as that. So it was a good cross terrain for us to introduce a platform that we think would be, if successful here, sustainable in other areas. Um, we did a lot of um, investment and testing overseas as well, particularly in the Japan market because mm-hmm. of the dependence and adoption for mobile phones. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, Chad, I mean, certainly when you're talking about finding Hawaii experiences, there's mm-hmm. certainly a very close tie to place there. But uh, is your vision and your the platform that you've built, the strategies that you are coming up with, is that something that you could conceivably apply and become experienced San Diego tours or something like that? Is that something in your vision in the future? Yeah. You know, when we launched the, the, the site here um, in Hawaii, it was always meant to, to test out the market, to learn. You know, this is my first e-commerce company um, and building a marketplace it's formidable it's uh, it's difficult it's not just a regular e-commerce site we're not selling just our own products we have contracts with about a hundred vendors um, and it's growing quickly um, but you know we want to develop uh, if we want to add a lot of value to our customer we need to uh, and we want to make a lot of money we have to develop a relationship with that customer over the long term the more places we are the more San Diego's and Key West and New York's we are and Tokyo's, the more valuable we are for the customer because once they develop a relationship with us that they can trust, they know wherever they go, they can also find the same standard of service and product quality um, that they got from the experience with us. And it also makes our marketing a lot easier. Marketing is tough when you, in this business, in any business, um, especially online. And the best marketing channel for these kinds of web apps and apps and marketplaces is word of mouth, referral marketing, mm-hmm. Uber's number one sales channel, refer a friend. And it's it's more it's easier for us to do when we are in other locations. Yeah. 
And I can certainly see that. I mean, um, uh, I was very, I was a huge fan of the TV show Lost, and there are a number of businesses that focus on Lost tours, especially earlier when the show was still going on. And I would say ninety percent of the random inquiries that I would get just by being a nerd in Hawaii is like, which Lost tour? Where should I go? What things should I see? And it's not they could Google these things, but they want to hear it from someone else. So I think uh, word of mouth and, and probably social media has been a big boon for something like this. Now I wanted to ask you, when you're a marketplace, in a way you're in front, or you're in perhaps even between. Between your service provider, a tour company, and their customer, you're connecting them for sure. But in many ways, uh, you are also part of that chain in the sense that, uh, let's say, if you were a widget manufacturer and the widget was broken, you say, I'm sorry, we'll ship you a new widget. But when you're talking about a tour company and something goes wrong, maybe they're stranded at Kayana Point. And uh, is that a challenge for you in some ways versus selling a product online when you're, when you're really the front-facing side of services that impact someone's vacation? That's a very good question. So it's something we think a lot about. At what point do we uh, do we hand the relationship, the customer relationship, off to our partner, right? Because um, we're not providing the um, the on the ground experience. Um, we're providing the recommendation and shopping, booking experience. Um, and but they've they've taken our word for it. So there is some trust that we have some responsibility for there, and we do, and we guarantee our everything we recommend. Um, so we. We, we, we always say you can call us and we're, if they do. Um, you know, one of the great things about booking through a marketplace is that we send so many customers to these vendors that if we call and complain, it means a little bit more sometimes, right? They'll take our word for it because we've, we've spoken to the customer and developed a relationship. But a lot of times, and we make it very clear in our, on our tickets and the vouchers that we send out, if you have certain kinds of problems, like if you can't find your guide, if you're lost, Call this number. Don't call us because we are on the phones and in front of our computers. We're not on the ground and we can't come pick you up. So it's very important that you communicate that to the customers. They know who to contact when and what to do. Yeah. So, Chad, you know, one of the things I'm kind of curious about is that if you are looking at an expansion plan to other cities, you mentioned Key West, San Diego. I think a lot of your on-the-ground experience here in Hawaii uh, probably had a lot to do with how you would curate the kind of visitor experiences that you would love to see uh, a visitor ex, you know, uh, experience and, and, and see value in that already. How do you see expanding into other marketplaces? I mean, you have to basically clone people like yourselves into those marketplaces so that you know, you know what's a good experience in, let's say, San Diego or Key West. Yeah, that's another great question. So, And that's something that uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about, right? So curating is key to what we do. How do you curate that, right? Um, I have local knowledge. I'm from here. Mm-hmm. I'm on the ground. I can go out and meet these activity providers, go on the activities myself, and make a recommendation. But I'm not going to be an expert at everywhere in the world. I'd like to be, but I'm not. We can hire people, but that's expensive. Right. It's tough to scale. Right. So how do we curate that? Because if we just put it, let every tour and activity provider advertise on our site, it doesn't add as much value. Mm-hmm. But So we can either curate it doing human ways, right, or we can use it, do it algorithmically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to have both. So we have to have some kind – our system has to allow the customer to be able to filter easily. There has to be some kind of standards in order to get on the system. Um, there's, you know, we connect things like we, ch- we check uh, safety and insurance and um, bank accounts. We can do that through LinkedIn and social media for the different tour providers to add some kind of standard. But then you can parse that somehow, filter that somehow. And then we can layer on our own recommendations as well. So I mm-hmm. say as we begin to scale – to other locations, we'll have a lot of tour providers in there that we haven't met, 
some of them we have met, and and both of that will play a factor into how um, customers select. I would also imagine that the vendors you work with now have colleagues that they know in the same space. If they're doing hang gliding tours here, they probably worked or have dealt with hang gliding people in San Diego or in Washington State. Now, Kyle, uh, for you, I'm also interested on that dependency question. You, you're you helping businesses reach their uh, reach an online market to do business online, and a lot of people are saying that's where all business is shifting. So you go from helping a new business take their first steps to perhaps providing the platform on which they will depend for their survival in the future. Um, how does your program or your setup scale in the sense that, let's say, you have a 1,000 customers using your technology, but you are also now there the only way that they can reach these customers? How does the support work? Right. So that's a good question. One of the things that we focused early on is before we built any technology product, we had to know that the scalability was the main concern, right? And we we um, intentionally designed it where there was minimal customer service uh, needs in it. So we're really creating a base platform that a, a business to be successful and it has to have those core capabilities themselves. So we're really agnostic to that in a certain sense, mm. where the nuts and bolts to a building and how you paint it, how you decorate it is really the, the tenants that live in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're a little different model there in our marketplace. We, we build you the shopping center and you know we put up some of the windows, but you decide the look and feel of it and it's your, you know, whether you cook good fried rice or not is is up to you. Yeah, so are you, right? a, are you a software as a service play in the sense that if I'm using your, your, fr- your, your marketplace for my business, are you hosting it or I buy it and install it and have to run it and keep all of the servers up to date and everything? Um, ours is a cloud-based host platform. Okay. So we tried to make that point very easy. We, we do have uh, investment in customer service and support, but from a unified platform. So if you had any problems, um, chances are everyone is having a problem. But the good side on that is we're already on it. Right. So Kyle, you know, you also have kind of pivoted. I mean, you've, you've based a lot of the, the lessons that you've learned through Talisman and Milan, and now you've pivoted to something called uh, Moment Romance. And from what I gather, <laughs> that's which, quite a pivot. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> surprisingly, right, this, this Moment Romance is still based on some of the technologies that you developed with, with uh, Milan. I mean, Tell us a little bit about Robin, you know how does that how does that all fit? It is very much, and I appreciate the question. I, I'm going to try to make this a short response because okay. it is a very long one. But I guess to best answer that is, you know, any entrepreneur, and you know, I'll tell you real quick. Years ago, I used to cringe when people said, "Oh, you're really an entrepreneur," and I used to never admit that because I thought it was a compliment, and I, and I, I never really liked that. Mm-hmm. Years now, I realized that how painful it is and how really crazy you have to be to do that and how it's not a glamorous title. So I gladly accept it. You know, last week we had our yeah. show on the, the mental health of entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, I'm glad you we didn't ask you on, We should have you on the couch <laughs> yeah. over here. But, no. but so, so that being said, um, so the question, you know, as far as how this business evolved and with the companies I've been um, fortunate to, to start and be involved in, um, there, there are, in my mind, there's commonality. To, to, to work with this. And, and I'll just share with you a little bit of that. So Talisman was the origination, and by name itself, it was designed to be a good luck charm. Mm-hmm. Mobile phone was at the center of that. Um, leading up to that, it was a marketplace that brought good economic benefits to a consumer that carried their mobile phone. Um, with our latest venture, Moment Romance, it's about using a mobile phone and an intelligent network to put you in the right place at the right time, maybe not to buy a hamburger, but to meet the right people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And meeting the right people has different meanings to different people. It could be in our first application demonstration to finding someone to date with, finding a romantic partner or a friend. Um, but it also has other applications such as finding a business partner or a future employee or employer. Um, so there's many different applications we see that. The commonality of that is we're using technology 
um, putting a little bit of intelligence in that on a customized level. So we tell, we know you a little bit. Um, we can direct you in your life, in your daily life, to a particular location, right? So at the heart of it, there is a marketplace, um, Moment Romance, and I'll talk a little bit about that later, but it really is about bringing people that can meet together at a physical location. And the physical location is not your house. It's a public place. Sure. So it, it could be a supermarket. It could be a shopping center. Well, that later might be just like right now because uh, there's probably not a whole lot of time, but give us an <laughs> example of how this meetup might take place. So so we have this platform. It's not different from Moment, uh, Milan Marketplace. It's a platform for businesses and a platform for other application developers. So it's a true platform. Um, at the heart of it, what we do is we mix up location awareness so we can pinpoint um, HBR, right? Mm-hmm. This, this building location on a GPS level. We can build a fence around it, which is could be 10 meters, 30, a mile, right? Whatever you want. And within that fence, we create an ecosystem. And the ecosystem is really our little social network. But think about we'll have 100,000 of these little ecosystems across the U.S. when we launch. We're launching this weekend. Um, before Valentine's Day. Before Valentine's Day. That's right. And our, our, um, at 3.50 today, we pushed up our Apple uh, ah. iOS app. So you can download it soon. Um, and in these ecosystems, we allow people to meet each other that wouldn't normally meet but are there by coincidence. So, for example, think about the last time we went to the park. Well, there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people or a stadium at the football game. Right, A lot of people are there that you'd like to meet, but either we don't know, we're too shy, or we don't know if we should meet the person or not. Um, so in the, in the love world, there's maybe a, a cute girl or a good-looking guy that I'd like to meet. But I don't know if they're married, they're single, uh, I don't know if they'll like me. So technology, Intel, has the ability to clear that up. So mm-hmm. we can now filter out and, and tell you who's, who's available. So you can I, go on the app, basically set up your profile, single, yep. male, interested in right? girls. Right. So, so pretty much it's a, it's, a, it's a match. This particular app is a matchmaking site, and everyone gets a – so first of all, you set up a profile, very basic, what I am and what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. After that, everyone gets a customized map. So it's like Google Maps, Apple Maps. And on that map, you'll see full of little hearts. Now, these hearts are our ecosystems. So it could be HBR, it could be Don Quixote, whatever. I would definitely be. recommend people set their heart <laughs> on HBR because there are a lot of beautiful and handsome people here. And smart, are, too. And smart, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, so these ecosystems are there, and there are two ways to use the app. One is, you know, as, as a guy, as a college guy, remember, I'm not totally too old to forget. But I, isn't that a dream? You have a map here. You can find all the girls you want to meet. So that's what we do. We, we allow you to find people that you'd like to meet on a map and exactly when they're there. Now, we don't tell you who they are. We don't tell you their picture or anything like that. But we, we tell you where you should be. Mm. Put yourself in the right place at the right time. That is interesting. You know, location, location, location. That's right. Well, I look forward to that app, although, of course, I wouldn't be using it for dating. Uh, Chad, for your business, certainly you cover a lot of activities that people um, are interested in in Hawaii. I would imagine that matchmaking is probably not something that is currently in your marketplace. Not no, you know, I never rule it out, but uh, not in the plans. Right do you now. have a Do you have an idea for your next big uh, threshold, your be- next big release or milestone? We do. We actually have. Uh, I actually have a big strategic uh, initiative underway. Um, part of it is expanding um, globally and in, in, mm-hmm. into the United States. But um, um, it, I, I don't want to say too much. But uh, we're going to add thousands and thousands of uh, of new activities in a number of different locations, and it's going to be a lot easier to search. So we're pretty excited about what's going to be happening here. Well, search is certainly a huge technology play for sure. 
So you're, you you just mentioned that you are you pushed it up to the uh, Apple App Store and uh, what mo- mo- moment mm-hmm. romance is is moment there romance. that that so any yep. of no they have to approve us. it first oh it's no it's it's already approved it oh, just well, got approved I'm today go right three fifty no more talking okay. and actually if you go to our website momentromance.com you can watch our a uh, little video on it that kind of mm-hmm. explains on it and it has a links for it uh, Android's coming this weekend so we're soft launched right we just pushed up iOS gonna uh, test it out. Um, and we're kind of hard launching next week. So how does, how does Moment Romance make money? I mean, uh, I have yeah, single friends question, who use yeah. Tinder and all these other apps. Yeah, so, so that's actually a great question actually tied to the marketplace. In, in the marketplace model that we did before, it was about advertising. And that was a single focus of our revenue. Um, doing an app model like this, which is sort of tied into a marketplace, has actually for us three business models. So the first is a user paid. So it's a free app, but there's a premium membership subscription. Basically, you just get unlimited chat sessions uh, on a premium membership. Mm. The second business model is a advertising. So if you'd like to be Alamoana Center and, and be in there, um, you can advertise and become a heart location. And the third um, is a licensing model. So we understand that there's a big potential for this for other applications, not just for love applications or dating applications, for business applications. So we'll license our platform that they can contact us rather than build it, license it, and get started with their own. Mm-hmm. Do you I have any uh, places, I think, that at launch you will actually identify as like a little place to go? Yes, actually. So at launch, uh, we already have 75,000 locations across the U.S., um, already populated. So if you go into the map, um, you'll see it and you'll be able to go anywhere in the country and find these locations. So we have a lot of public places, Alamona Park, mm-hmm, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're at Kakako, um, actually um, in downtown. Um, so it's going to be where places that people go on a daily basis. I can, I can, and I already when you talk about the flexibility of the platform, I can see something like Moment Startup, where San Francisco locations, and you have all of the entrepreneurs in there, and they just want to be in the right place at the right time to meet an investor, a developer, or a designer, or something like that. Very good. That's a great idea. So we yeah. will post the uh, link to Moment Romance up on our show notes. I'm downloading it now. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Better put your real profile on there. <laughs> anyway, uh, we want to thank uh, Kyle Tanoi, and he's launching Moment Romance. And, of course, uh, Chad Kahunahana is CEO and founder of Experience Hawaii. And you can find him at experiencehawaii.com. And want to thank you both for joining us today. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to teams of the VEX IQ Robotics Championship. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Zanga with a remix by Nicola Cruz, and it's called Get Out of My Dreams. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.